nothing we can do about the collective stupidity of government other than figure out how to exploit it. This is an economy of one. Your beacon guiding you through the turbulent waters of the political economy. The market no longer is the invisible hand of mutual gain, but the choking grip of political self-interest. Liberty is not given. It must be taken. Let's take it back together today. It's life, liberty, and the pursuit of self-reliance. An economy of one with Gary Rathman, CEO of Private Wealth Consultants and your free market voice of the U.S. This is our country. Greetings and welcome again to An Economy of One. I am your host, Gary Rathman. Our website, aneconomyofone.com. Aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook an economy of one. Well, finally, finally, the uh, Olympics are over, and uh, the true exciting part of the Olympics uh, begins now, and that is the Paralympics. If you haven't been to the Facebook page and looked at our video put out for the Paralympics, please do so. It is terrific. The best three minutes you'll spend of your life this week. So, uh, Take a look at that. It's a video called I Can. Very well done. In addition, as I say every week now, I'm tired of presidential politics. So uh, we're not going to really talk about those uh, this week just because I'm bored watching it. So I'll be bored talking about it. But I did want to talk about something near and dear. And that is um, what's going on in Louisiana. They've had a ton of rain. Uh, 40,000 homes have been destroyed. Uh, tens of thousands of people have been displaced. Really bad things going on down there. Not unlike Hurricane Katrina under Bush several years ago. Now, I'm not going to get into Trump going down there and talking to him and, and Obama playing golf and then Obama going down and talking to him. I, I, I don't care about that. None of that means anything to me. All of it is for show. All of it is photo op, regardless of what they say. And I, I, I just don't care anymore. What I do want to talk about is what's been dubbed the Cajun Navy. Now, this this is interesting to me. What's happened is the, these people in Louisiana, now they, they, the media tries to frame it around their memory of FEMA under Hurricane Katrina, and I don't think that's really the case here. I think it's just people helping people. And uh, the Cajun Navy is uh, essentially all volunteer uh, sports people, sportsmen uh, in their own boats going to their neighbors, their neighborhoods, strange neighborhoods, going, going anywhere they're needed, and helping people get to dry land. These are good Samaritans. These are Americans helping Americans. And what drew me to the story partially was the, the attitude, the, the uh, can-do, let's go help people right now because I got a boat and I know where I'm going. So let's, let's go get them. And they have rescued literally thousands of people. We don't know exactly how many because they're volunteers and they're individuals. Only a government bureaucrat would count bodies and count how many people were saved and how long it took and how many gallons of gas were spent and all that kind of stuff. These people are doing it for no money, probably not even gas money. 
they're going out there and they're helping people right now. And uh, they've been dubbed the Cajun Navy, uh, according to social media. People uh, need assistance, whatever. They get on social media and these people show up. And uh, hundreds of them, hundreds of of boat owners. Now, what, what caught my eye on this was no sooner had I started reading about this and reading some of the stories, which I'll get into in a minute, but leave it to a government bureaucrat to want to introduce legislation as soon as possible to regulate these people. They want them to have training. They want them to have licenses. And, of course, they want to charge them a fee. Because we can't have, there's really two issues, liability. We, we, we can't have liability out there. And uh, um, we can't uh, have them untrained because there's cost involved. Now, these people are going out rescuing people and bringing them to dry land. Then they're turning around and going and getting somebody else. And uh, state senator wants to regulate this. I think it's uh, uh, State Senator Perry. Uh, Oddly enough, Republican, Jonathan J.P. Perry of the Vermilion Lafayette area. Now, it's a state senator, not a a, uh, federal senator. It's just a matter of time before the Fed gets involved, I'm sure. But... uh, um, the state is afraid they're going to have liability of these boat owners, and they can't stand liability. So um, they want to regulate it. And in putting together legislation to regulate it, the senator says, uh, the intent of what I want to do is to completely unregulate it. So he wants to pass some regulation on this, so that it can be unregulated. Now, only a government bureaucrat would say something like that. The fact is, these people are doing things that the government cannot do. They know where they're going. Government uh, people running boats wouldn't know the neighborhoods. They wouldn't know the people, wouldn't know anything. And furthermore, I tell you this, I'm I'm my home base in Toledo, Ohio, and uh, our big body of water near us is Lake Erie. And one of the one of the uh, activities that takes place up here in the wintertime is ice fishing out on Lake Erie. And uh, ice inevitably moves, and people get stranded on ice flows. And if uh, the Coast Guard or whoever rescues these people come out to rescue them, they don't allow them to take anything, anything. They cannot take their fishing pole nothing their cooler radio nothing all of the coast guard is required to rescue is the person so they make them abandon all their equipment uh, abandon their vehicle abandon their their fishing poles everything now do you think that the government would do the same thing down there i guarantee you there's stories here of part of the Cajun uh, Navy taking people back to their home by boat to rescue um, 
one guy rescue his mom's urn that has her ashes in it. Now, do you think the government would do that? No. You think the government would allow people to take their pets and livestock? Uh, no. Do you think they'd allow them to take any of their possessions at all, photo albums, anything? Nope. Government would not allow that. And you can bet that in this regulation, part of the training, part of the permits, part of the fees and stuff would be making these boat owners uh, uh, pledge to act like the government would. Once again, the government sticks its nose in something and screws it up. It's making civility civil disobedience. That's what the government does. That's what a bureaucrat does here. Many people lost their lives during Katrina because they refused to abandon their pets. I would be one of those. I wouldn't abandon my dogs. My dogs depend on me. They are family. I know they're dogs, but they're my dogs. And uh, they, they, they go where I go. And if they're not allowed, then I don't go. I'll stay home. I'll fight the flood. But that's what the government does. And that's the difference in these individuals. They have saved thousands of people, thousands of pets, possessions, Things that are near and dear. I'm not talking about, you know, loading up uh, clothes and and that kind of stuff in these boats for people. They're loading up the treasured possessions, the people, pets, livestock, urns with ashes, photo albums, that kind of stuff that the government would not do. Leave it to the government to try and regulate, try to to prevent people helping their own people. That's what we've come to. That's what the government has come to. They would rather have people devastated, maybe even lose their lives, than have their neighbors help them out. These people don't wait for assistance. Look what happened under FEMA. They don't want to wait, but the government says these people in boats are breaking law by helping their people because they're crossing barriers that police set up. Well, you know what? It's time to cross some barriers that the government sets up. And this is a perfect example. These people are heroes. They're inspirational. They don't think of themselves that way. They think, hey, we got to help our neighbor. I can. I got a boat. Let's go help somebody. So I think it's important to look at this from the right perspective. Up next, I want to look at what the corporations, particularly Walmart, is doing in this flood. That'll be interesting to look at. You'll be pleased. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Now, you remember back during Hurricane Katrina, 
Remember back then, uh, there was all kinds of of gnashing of teeth and and spitting nails about the price that some companies were charging for, like generators and that kind of stuff. And I remember talking about it at the time, and I'm a free market guy, and that's what the market will bear. So that's what they should charge. Okay. Now, that being said, I'm all in favor of corporations uh, having a conscience, uh, wanting to make a profit, uh, having integrity, practicing ethics. And when it comes to this flood down in Louisiana, let's take a look at what Walmart did. Now, Walmart apparently has their own team of meteorologists that work for the company. And the meteorologists look at what's going on. And when they start seeing this flooding, they start developing alternative routes for their trucks and they adjust the inventory of the stores in the area to meet the immediate needs of the people based on where they're at in the process. In other words, immediate flooding, um, they need baby formula, uh, bottled water, diapers, uh, that kind of stuff. So they, they see this, they immediately start shipping in truckloads of this stuff to their stores. And as the, the uh, waters recede, as, as things progress, then they will start putting in truckloads of cleaning supplies and anti-mold stuff. They put in stuff for their pets. Okay, I keep harping on pets because that's an important part of my life, and it is for many others. But Walmart has geared their stores, their inventory, to the immediate needs caused by the problems in their areas. Now, will they make a profit off those? I would hope so. Do they gouge their their customers with prices? No, they don't. They don't raise the prices. They sell them at the normal prices, maybe even give them away. But the free market needs to play a role in all of this. But corporations have to be part of the community, I believe. I don't think we need to put a gun to their head and make them give away things. But uh, I think it will serve Walmart well to play in this role during this time. And Walmart being the, one of the largest employers in the United States, if not the largest employer in the United States, gets a lot of crap. They get a lot of crap about employee benefits and how much they pay per hour and, and time off and hours a week and that kind of stuff. And, you know, I've, I've argued on all over that, that none of those people are forced to work there. Their, their, their weekly hours are determined when they are hired. The, the wage is told to them before the person accepts the job. They're not forced into slavery with Walmart. So I, I, I don't want to get into any of that. I want to look at how the corporation looks at the needs of its communities in times of, of crisis like this and how do they react. And looking at this flood... It's impressive.
It's impressive. Now, what did President Obama do during this flood? Made sure that somebody in the government, I'm sure he didn't sign it, I'm sure he directed it, giving anti-discrimination lectures to people and flood victims to make sure they don't discriminate during this time. Well, the Cajun Navy was rescuing people of all races. They didn't care what color they were. They didn't care what gender they were. Didn't care if they was transgender. Didn't care what, what gender they identified with. They needed help. They provided it. That's the story. That's the story. Even in disaster relief, the best thing government can do is get out of the way and let the private sector take care of their own. Allow us Americans to be who we are, and that is Americans. We want to fix things. We want to do it ourselves, and we don't want to have a gun pointed at our head or some bureaucrat that's never had dirt under his fingernails telling us how to do stuff. Most of these government employees that come down there to help don't know the neighborhoods. They don't know how to navigate through anything. And like I said, the big deal to me would be forcing them to let their pets and livestock starve to death or drown. Couldn't take any personal possessions. You think a government employee would take a person in a boat to their house to retrieve their mother's ashes? I don't think so. That's just not going to happen with government providing. You think government could provide in a timely basis the supplies that are needed for a community? Walmart knows everything about that community and what they buy on a regular basis, including prescription drugs. These people set up shelters and churches, movie theaters, all voluntarily. Brought in doctors voluntarily. This is America. This is what we should be allowed to do and get government out of the way. Coming up next, John Tamney, Senior Fellow in Economics at the Reason Foundation and editor of RealClearMarkets.com is going to be joining me. Won't want to miss that. John Tamney next. Gary Rathbun, an economy of one. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Joining me now is John Tamney, a senior fellow in economics at the Reason Foundation, editor of RealClearMarkets.com. He's a political economy editor at Forbes and author of two books I really like. The first one, Popular Economics, What the Rolling Stones, Downton Abbey, and LeBron James Can Teach You About Economics. And most recently, Who Needs the Fed? How Taylor Swift, Uber, and robots can end the biggest bank in the world. John, welcome back to An Economy of One. Hey, Gary. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate uh, you coming on. You know, I read your columns all the time, and we're, we're getting down to finally, I guess, uh, just a few candidates running for president. There's there's two main ones out there, of course, uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton and, and uh, Donald Trump. Um, and they're promising us all kinds of stuff. Uh, I think Hillary said she's going to create 10 million jobs or, or something. What's the, the, real, uh, the, the reality of 
a president creating jobs. I mean, these people haven't, well, Donald Trump's created some jobs, but for the most part, politicians don't really create any jobs. What's, what's, what's the story behind this? Is this something we need to listen to? Uh, No, no. Let's be clear that government never in the history of mankind has created a job. Governments, as we know, have no resources. They can only spend what they've extracted or borrowed from the real economy first. So while there are government jobs, they are a creation of the private sector. That's where the resources came from. That's why there are lots of government jobs in the rich in the United States and very few in Haiti. And so when presidents promise to create jobs, they can do no such thing. Now, what they can do is have a federal government that fiercely protects our individual liberties. There's nothing in the Constitution about growth, but it's all about freedom. If we're allowed to be free, abundant prosperity will be the result. But government does not create that. You know, it's interesting in in one of your columns, and I knew this story, but I'd forgotten about it. Um, You talk about some of the private money out there and some of the uh, high-profile things they've done, like the 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 Getty Oil Trust uh, uh, taking over or, or rescuing or bailing out, whatever term you want to use, ESPN, and some of the things that Jeff Bezos has done and, and uh, PayPal founder Peter Thiel. I mean, if the government takes away their money, some of this stuff wouldn't have happened. Uh, yeah, it's a very, very important point, and we we don't do a good enough job of selling the importance of inherited wealth, mm-hmm. but also major wealth that's earned, because what can the super rich do that the average American can't? They have so much money that they're willing to lose it on the risky ideas. ESPN was a joke in 1979. It almost died in 1980. The Gettys were so rich from inherited wealth, they had $10 million that they were willing to risk on ESPN, and it changed sports history. Jeff Bezos took a flyer on Uber. Imagine how many more interesting companies he could take risks on if government weren't taking so much of his money. Mm-hmm. Howard Hughes inherited Hughes Tool and Die, which led to him basically funding aviation in the United States. Um, History is very clear here. So when we tax away the wealth of the super rich, we reduce the most crucial capital of all, the risk capital. Mm -hmm. You know, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that, you know, these guys invest a lot of ideas that ultimately fail also. And when, when government invests in an idea that fails, their solution is, instead of cutting the losses, is throwing more money at it. So failure is also important for the private sector also. Hugely important because failure is information. Mm-hmm. Rockefellers, Vanderbilts, Phipps, those were the names behind Silicon Valley originally. People so rich that they could take risks on companies out there that almost 99% chance were going to fail. And again, that speaks to how crucial the rich are. They alone have the money that they can lose on interesting ideas. Government, of course, can fund lots of failures, too. But, of course, the difference there is they never kill their darlings. In Silicon Valley, every business that starts in 2016, most of them will be dead in 2017. With government, they stick around forever. Yeah, and, and we don't learn anything from that. That's exactly right. And I think I told you the last time we talked, one of my 
economic professors 100 years ago in in college made the statement, which I've never forgotten, that is there's no end to the good do-gooders will do with other people's money. (laughs) And, uh, you know, so, you know, we look at Solyndra, we look at all these things. One of the things I got to tell you, and I'm going to say this every time I, I have you on air until people tell me not to say it anymore, but you have fundamentally changed one of my thought processes, and I have used on air many, many times the discussion around the Laffer curve and lowering taxes, how to give more money to the government. And either last time or the time before we talked, uh, you convinced me that is absolutely the wrong argument for the Laffer curve or for lowering uh, tax rates uh, because it gives the government more money, which they will spend and get bigger and and uh, wasted on us. Uh, both candidates uh, talk a lot about taxing the rich and and uh, raising the, the the new term, I guess, for government is investment. The government's investing uh, in things. What do we got to do to get the, the word out there that getting government smaller is really the key, not finding cheaper ways to fund them with more money? Well, I think the way to get the word out there is to stop talking about Armageddon. Uh, You could fill countless rose bowls with all the people who said, well, because of this debt, because of government's Mm -hmm. budget deficits, we're about to implode. And if we don't get that under control and if we don't make some sacrifices, we're in big trouble. That's not the way to sell this. Rich countries can run up lots of debt just like rich companies can. The way to sell it is – Talk to people about how much more we would have, how much more prosperous we would be, how many more Apple computers and and Googles and Facebooks we would have if government were spending less. Talk about all the the voluminous and exciting jobs that would exist and all the exciting work opportunities if government weren't taking so much of the money that we earn and wasting it. That should be the goal. We're we're already a rich country, Mm -hmm. but we could be exponentially wealthier. We could be exponentially better off. We could have cancer cures. We could have private jets for everyone if government were quite simply spending less. And that's got to be the focus on how much better we could be. You know, I I, uh, read one of your articles. eh, It's been a couple weeks now. And uh, also uh, read your book, Who Needs the Fed? And uh, you talk about the Federal Reserve's relevance is declining every day. Can you give me a, a little elaboration on that? Absolutely. The Fed's channel through which it presumes to influence the economy, and I, I of course, argue in the book that the Fed has very little influence on the economy, Mm -hmm. and the reason I do is that its channel is the U.S. banking system. Well, what's too often forgotten is that U.S. banks represent 15%. That's 1-5% of total lending in the economy, in the U.S. More to the point, it's the least dynamic lending of all. The dynamic businesses, the, the, the ones that will change how our economy um, grows and everything, they don't interact with banks. Banks only interact with the established blue-chip tip-top companies, and so the Fed really can't influence how the economy grows. It's basically interacting with banks that are a yesterday source of finance. And let's remember that banks are shrinking as a source of lending all the time, just because they're not a very efficient way to bring borrowers um, and savers together. And so with the decline of banks as a source of credit, the Fed's power is dying before our eyes. That is enlightening. You might have changed me fundamentally twice here. So uh, that's a big deal. We got about a minute left. We're speaking with John Tamney. 
editor of RealClearMarkets.com and author of Popular Economics and uh, What the Rolling Stones, Downton Abbey and LeBron James can teach you about economics in his new book, Who Needs the Fed? Uh, John, before I let you go, I got to ask you a question. We talked about it the first hour of the show tonight. I just not getting it. I figured, you know what? I'm going to ask you, why is there such a big push and a lot of media and energy spent on self-driving cars? Why is that? Well, it's a great question. Um, <laughs> I think it's I think it's a really exciting thing. Imagine how much more productive we could be. How much? Imagine how much safer parents would feel about their kids reaching their teen years if they weren't driving. Um, so it's really exciting to think that we're going to get to this point. It makes you think that a hundred years from now there will be books, fiction books, writing about the past and saying how families used to be destroyed by car accidents and never recovered from car accidents. In many ways, that could be a thing of the past. It's another example of how capitalism and the profit motive is so incredibly compassionate. I'm just having a lot of trouble getting my arms around that, and I guess it's because of maybe my age and my generation, and I like driving, and I like driving fast, and... and, me too. I, I've not been in any accidents lately, but, uh, um, you know, I, I just it just seems like every day we're seeing lots and lots of articles around self-driving cars and how they're going to be here in the next few years and, and that kind of stuff. So uh, it's kind of off my question list, but I wanted to, to put you in a corner and, and see what your thoughts uh, were on that. John, once again, I, I know our time is short. I really appreciate you coming on. I love your books. We put them on our website and on Facebook, and I've recommended them to, to everybody I talk to. Uh, you do great work, and I hope we can tap you on the shoulder again soon. Anytime, Gary. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Up next, you think Obamacare regulation was bad? Wait till you see the latest in EPA climate change regulations. And something big going on in Arizona. We'll touch on that next. An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Back to An Economy of One with Gary Rathbun. Don't forget, our website is aneconomyofone.com, aneconomyofone.com, as is our Facebook, an economy of one on Facebook. We put new stuff on there every day, good stuff for you to look at. And if you'd like to give me a question or a comment, eh, even a snide remark I'll take, email me at producer at aneconomyofone.com, producer at aneconomyofone.com, and I promise... I might respond. Promise. Remember a few years ago, several years ago now, we thought Obamacare was was bad because it was 2,300 pages of legislation. Well, truth was, we were right. It was bad. But uh, since then, uh, Obamacare was about 2,500 pages of legislation. Uh, The Consumer Protection Act was uh, 2,300 pages of legislation equally as bad. Most recently, we got 1,690-page climate change regulations for medium and heavy-duty vehicles. 
1,690 pages. Now, this is a combined effort of the Environmental Protection Agency and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. That's a mouthful. And uh, their idea is to help the, protect the world from climate change by limiting greenhouse gas emissions. Now, you notice, and I brought this up before, you all notice this, the language has gone from global warming to climate change. Climate change happens minute by minute on this planet, and it has for billions of years, and it will continue to change. Fact is, this has nothing to do with the environment, nothing to do with the environment, and has everything to do with regulating another segment of the economy. This regulation alone, 1,690 pages, 700,000 words long, by the year 2027, 10 years from now, it will add $15,119 to the cost of a truck and trailer. $15,000. Now that is not adjusted for inflation for the next 10 years. I guarantee you that that will be closer to twenty-five dollars or $30,000 increase in the cost of a tractor-trailer rig just for this piece of legislation. Now, multiply that by all the different trucks out there, and how much is that taking out of the economy for nothing? Nothing. These self-righteous, ignorant bureaucrats think they're doing something or try to convince us that they're doing something for the environment. Truth is, they just want to stick their nose in another business. Same way it happened with biodiesel fuels. I don't know if we've talked about this before, but biodiesel is one of those boondoggles that everybody thought was a great idea. Get us away from fossil fuels because it's renewable energy and require so much ethanol and biodiesel into the gas and diesel fuel mix out there. And companies that didn't produce enough would have to buy carbon credits. Well, it didn't take long for the scammers to figure out, hey, there's no oversight in any of this. I'll pretend I'm making biodiesel fuel. I'll tell the EPA I am. They'll give me all of these credits and I'll sell them to the big boys like uh, Exxon and, and BP and uh, make a bloody fortune. And they did. And it's only now, years later, where government bureaucrats are starting to inspect these biodiesel plants. And uh, they've never produced anything. They're not even hooked up. There's a bunch of pipes and valves piled on top of each other to look like something. But they produce nothing. And these people have stolen hundreds of millions of dollars from true energy producing companies thinking they were buying tax uh, carbon tax credits in order to stay in compliance with this stupidity. And they got nothing. And the government looks at the Exxons and BPs and says, hey, geez, you know you know what? You paid $500 million for nothing. You got ripped off. Uh, now you got to pay another $500 million to buy the real carbon credits. 
What do you think that does to the price of our gas at the pump? This stupidity and, and biodiesel fuels actually increase CO2 emissions. Ethanol actually increases pollution. It takes four gallons of water to produce one gallon of ethanol. Aquifers are, are being depleted producing ethanol, and people wouldn't produce it were it not for government credits and government money getting paid to produce something that the market doesn't want. It hurts your car. It hurts your motors. We don't need it. Price of fuel is way down. We're producing more gas and oil than we ever have in this country. We're one of the world's leading producers now. We're neck and neck with Saudi Arabia. Given the day, we might be the number one producer. They might be the number one producer. This stupidity's got to end, and I think that's part of the reason Donald Trump's message resonates with so pe- so many people is because he isn't part of this stupidity. I'm not saying he's the he, he's the best candidate or the greatest candidate. I'm saying that that's why he's popular. I think is because he is attacking all of these norms. Certainly better than the other choice. Not that I'm endorsing anybody, which I am not, but think about it. And speaking of candidates, interesting battle in Arizona. Dr. Kelly Ward is squared off against John McCain in the primaries this week. It'll be interesting to see. Now, John McCain, you know what? He's been a uh, senator for more than three decades, 30 Years. I don't know how old John is, don't care, but Dr. Kelly Ward is gaining a lot of ground against him, and I think it's neck and neck in Arizona. Now, I have met Dr. Ward, a nice lady. I've interviewed her on the show, met her at CPAC last year, and uh, I think it's time for some new blood. And I think now is the time in American history where we have to get away from the entrenched establishment, the entrenched politicians, the the long-term cronyism that is uh, rampant through Washington. I think it's time. I know McCain is a hero. I don't uh, question that. But it's time for him to go home, spend some time with his grandchildren, and enjoy his life. Time for some new blood in Washington. I want you to have a great day. Be an individual. Be self-reliant. Be an economy of one. I'm Gary Rathman. See you next time. This is our country. The views expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect the views of this station. Listeners should consult their own financial advisors or conduct their own due diligence before making any financial decisions. Private Wealth Consultants is an SEC-registered investment advisor.